Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, God, for the fact that um, you are a God who is with us all the time. Your presence is very real. It's not something that we talk about and um, as like a wish. It's not meant to be just a warm, fuzzy feeling, but we truly believe that you are here with us. And God, that's extraordinarily humbling for us. It's sometimes even hard to imagine just continuing to talk if we're in the presence of, of you um, but God, you have humbled yourself in an amazing way to be present, and I thank you. God, I want to pray this morning that as we talk about your word, I pray, God, that we'd be assured of your presence. God, there is uh, this burden that we have for being accurate and truthful, and I know, God, how easy it is for me to get off track, to talk about things that I think are, you know, important or my own little pet ideas, and maybe they're not yours. So, Father, I pray that if I say anything wrong, that you'd guard us from being influenced incorrectly. God, I also pray that, like every week, starting on Tuesday, when I start thinking about Sunday, I pray then that you'd be always corralling and directing my thoughts. The same for every teacher. But God, it's still possible for us to get off track, and I pray that you will not let that happen. In the same way, God, I pray, and I am so grateful how, how you take true ideas and you shape our thinking, and as we begin to think truth, you change us, and I'm glad. So I pray that you'll do that this morning again, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So do, you, um, do any of you remember the actual, the first moment when you met somebody, the moment of meeting somebody when that person became a good friend? Maybe even somebody who, you know, became a friend that you ultimately married. Anybody remember any of those moments of meeting somebody? Um, I actually, um, I-, I was thinking about this, and I remember a couple different moments of meeting friends over the years. And one of those friends um, is somebody, I remember a moment of meeting a friend more than 30 years ago. Um, actually, almost 30 years ago, I was in my house in East Greenville, and I heard a car pull up on the gravel parking lot between the church and our house where we lived in East Greenville. And I walked to the back door, and a guy that I didn't know, a guy I'd never met, got out of a pickup truck, I believe, walked up towards me, put his hand out to give me a firm handshake that he is still known for, giving firm handshakes. And he said, I heard your church is interested in buying um, the Red Hill School building. I've been doing the maintenance on that building for a number of years. I thought maybe you would want a tour. I did. And I got a tour, and we ultimately ended up buying that building. The thing is, that guy turned out to have a whole lot in common with me. We both loved hunting. We had kids the same age, went to the same school. We actually lived just two blocks from each other. Both of us married up. to women who excel at rolling their eyes at some of our 
finer moments. And I expect that we will be friends for our whole lives. And my life has been vastly different and a whole lot better because he and his family are in it. And that's what friends do, right? They make our lives better. They make it livable. They make it worth living. Imagine your life without any friends. I can't. I wouldn't want to. It isn't a life I'd want to live. So when was the last moment when you met a new friend? You know, right now, really for the month of January, we're talking about friends, and we're talking about it in part because we think friends are important. And so does Jesus. Now, I will tell you that if you think friends are important, at the end of the month of January, we will give you a chance to say, I agree. Me too. I'm with you. This is our form of membership at Horizon Church. Every year, we invite everyone, whether you have been a partner since day one or whether you are entirely new to this every year, we invite everyone to decide one more time to become partners with Horizon Church. And when you do, when you become a partner with us, you will be saying, we are with you. So let me give you, and let me give me, this is for me as well, it always is, let me give all of us a challenge for this year. If you do think friends are important, as does Jesus, let me challenge you this year to make one new friend. By the end of the year, one new friend. Now, some of you do this habitually. And so maybe you need to raise the bar and make it more of a challenge for you. Maybe it needs to be three or six. But for many of us, It has been a long, long time. So one new friend. Not an acquaintance, not a co-worker, although maybe it means a co-worker will become a friend. Not number 243 on Facebook, but a real, living, breathing friend. And if you are someone like me and you like a stretch challenge, Make it someone who is different from you. That's my goal for the year, actually, to make a friend with someone who is different. A Dallas Cowboys fan. (laughs) By the end of the year, I do hope to bring him or her to Christ. (laughs) No, actually, actually, I'm quite serious. At some point this year, I hope to be able to introduce you to someone I don't know today who will then be my friend. Now, to help us understand what this means and why this is so important, I want to read to you from part of a letter written by a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, that he wrote to a group of his friends that lived in Rome, and they were part of the church in Rome. 
Now, I never really say this, but this is the truth. When I read Scripture every Sunday, there is always a part of the Scripture that I'm reading that is key. It's kind of like there's a couple phrases that I'm going to park on. And usually when I read, I try to read it in such a way that you can tell what those phrases are. But I was thinking about that this week, and I don't know how good I am at that. So what I want to challenge you to do is to work really, really, really hard. And as I read this passage of Scripture from Romans 15, I want you to see if you can tell what parts of this Scripture passage are really important. See how well I do at reading uh, to see if you can tell what's important. From the book of Romans, I'm reading from chapter 15, starting at verse 1 and reading through 9. This is what Paul wrote. So we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things in the scriptures long ago to teach us, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God to fulfill his promises. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you to live in harmony with each other, as is fitting followers of Jesus Christ, then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other, just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. Okay, so how'd I do? Can you tell where I want to park? Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. Accept each other. Now, what do we do when we actually accept someone? Well, if you could look up the Greek word that Paul used when he wrote that phrase, it means that what you are doing is you are inviting someone into your society, into your life. The word means that I am deciding to actually open up my social circle and I am bringing someone into it as my companion, as my friend. I'm not merely just acquainted. I don't just tolerate him. I bring them into my life as a friend. And I think you could safely say that this is where all friendships begin. Every single one. It always begins with acceptance. Acceptance is step number one. 
Now, here's the thing. It is also always true that acceptance always comes at a cost. Always. Because there's no other person in the entire universe with whom you agree completely on everything. To be human is to be unique, one of a kind. So when we accept someone, when someone becomes our friend, we are always crossing over a kind of a barrier in order to accept that person as a friend. Now, a lot of times those barriers are tiny and they may be insignificant and we don't even think about them, but they're there. But sometimes, very often, those barriers are very, very large. So if we're going to do this, if step number one is to accept someone, and if there's a cost because we're going to cross a barrier, there's some great wisdom in what Paul has written here to explain how do we actually do this? How do we accept someone? So here's the thing. When I started reading this, when I read the very first sentence, it may be that some of you kind of picked up that we were kind of stepping into the middle of a conversation that I read because the first sentence I read was this. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. Things like what? What things? Well, starting in chapter 14, just the previous chapter, starting in verse 1 of chapter 14, Paul wrote this, same word, accept other believers who are weak in their faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Now, did you catch, before we even talk about the subjects, did you catch that Paul talks about the strong and the weak? the strong and the weak. In the church at Rome, there were two very different groups of people. And Paul will consistently use these two descriptive words to talk about these two groups of people, the strong and the weak. So quick question. If we were going to divide up our church and say everybody's going to fit in one or the other, the strong and the weak. And if I said to you, okay, all the strong ones go over here and all the weak ones go over here, how many of you would be saying, ooh, I can't wait to meet my brothers and sisters in the weak group? There's a certain flavor to those words, right? And the flavor is strong, good, weak, bad, right? And that makes it really, really hard for us to kind of look honestly at these particular groups that Paul is talking about. This is kind of like being back in middle school, back in the day when, do you remember how we used to get broken up into groups for things like reading and math and other subjects in school? And back in the day when I went, I don't think our educators cared a whole lot about how we felt Feelings weren't all that important. So they labeled our groups things like the A-level reading group and the C-level reading group and the F-level reading group. And everybody pretty much understood what those meant, right? It was no secret. 
The A level were the overachievers. The C level were the group of kids who probably wanted to work a little bit harder if they could to get to the A group. And the F group were the kids who were, when the teacher said, get your books out for reading, the F kids were the ones who said, we have books. <laughs> I know that, having lived it, right? But there came a time when educators started thinking, you know, maybe we should care a little bit more about how kids feel. Um, we don't want to insult groups of kids by giving them these kind of names. So they said, let's come up with harmless names for our groups. And let's name them maybe like bird names, just so that nobody knows. And there were the eagle readers and the cardinal readers and the pigeon readers. <laughs> and we always knew, didn't we? Doesn't matter what you call them, we always knew. Now here's the deal, Paul's talking about the strong and the weak. I do not honestly know, and I couldn't figure it out, whether or not the words that Paul was using in Greek, if those words have the same flavor for them that they do for us. But I can tell you this for sure, when Paul talked about strong and weak, he was not talking about character at all. Strong character and weak character. It has nothing to do with will, people of strong will and weak will. It has nothing to do with morals, the strong moralists and the weak moralists. In fact, even though Paul used the word faith to say weak in faith, it really doesn't have to do with faith the way we would think of it, strong faith and weak faith. It has to do with conscience. That's the word we would use. We would use conscience. One group of people in the church that Paul was talking about did not enjoy the people that he labeled weak. They did not enjoy a whole lot of freedom of conscience. They believed that obedience was really, really important. They believed duty was important. They had really high scruples. Now, here's the thing. Almost all Bible scholars, when they look at these two groups, almost all Bible scholars agree that in this Roman church, this group of people were the Jews, the Jewish Christians. Now, I know that that probably in some ways sounds like an oxymoron to us today to talk about Jewish Christians, but these were simply Jewish followers of Jesus Christ because Christianity was born as a Jewish movement, right? So here's the thing. In this church, there were Jewish followers of Jesus. They were the product of generations of thinking Jewishly. And for generations, generations, the Jewish people believed that what separated them from all other peoples on the planet was obedience to the law. We of all people 
are obedient to the law of God. So, for example, do you remember the story of Daniel in the Old Testament? Daniel, always, always a a great story of a Jewish hero of faith who found himself living as a prisoner in another culture. And what did Daniel say that makes him so famous early in his book? I won't eat your food. I won't eat your food. Remember? It became an issue of integrity for Daniel. It was an issue of faith. It was an issue of obedience. And that story was huge in shaping how Jews thought of themselves. And then not too many, this isn't in our Bibles, but not too many years before Paul actually wrote this, not long before Jesus, 100 years or so, there was a Jewish revolt. It was called the Maccabean Revolt. And it was a huge moment for the Jewish people. It was a David and Goliath moment for the Jews. And every single year, by the way, the Maccabean Revolt is what the Jews celebrate with Hanukkah. That's the revolt they celebrate with Hanukkah. And it was a time when the underdog Jews, the David, the underdog Jews managed to take back their country from some truly evil oppressors. They managed to take back their temple and cleanse it from some just horrific desecration that had happened to it. And the Jews said with incredible pride and justification when they took back their country and the temple, the Jews said, look, guys, no more outside influence. No more messing with the godless. We're a separate people. We are people of the book, people of obedience to the law. And the Maccabees, the Maccabees, when they said, how do we do this? How do we flesh this out? The Maccabees said, you know, for us, there are going to be some, there are going to be some signs. There are going to be some markers, some boundary markers that define us as people of the law, people who belong to Yahweh. And some of the boundary markers they settled on were, one was food. Like Daniel, they said to the outsiders, we won't eat your food. They said, we will eat the food prescribed for us in the law of God. We'll be kosher, and it will mark us as belonging to God. The other marker they settled on was uh, the Jewish holy days. They said, No more will we ignore the Jewish holy days. We'll observe the Sabbath as we're instructed to in the law. So they strictly obeyed the holy days. And they said, of all the law, but particularly these two, they said, of all these law, here are two markers. You obey these and you're in. You disobey these and you're out. Now, as an aside... Do you you understand, given this background, do you understand why when Jesus was here, these two markers were so important and they constantly kept coming up for Jesus? His critics would say, you eat with sinners. How often did his critics say that? You eat with sinners because to eat with a sinner means you can't eat kosher. You're breaking the law. And how often did Jesus' critics say, you keep breaking the Sabbath? How often? Remember? 
So do you see how important these two boundary markers were for the Jews at that particular time? How we eat and how we keep the holy days. For generations, it had been pounded into them. This is what makes us a separate people. Obedience to the law. And if you want us to prove it, watch how we eat and watch how we keep the holy days. Now, if we took the time to read through all of chapter 14, you would see that those are exactly the issues that Paul is dealing with. In this church in Rome, there were two groups of people, Jews and non-Jews. And the Jewish Christians were saying, look, obedience to the law is important. This is the only thing, they would say, this is the only thing that separates us from the rest of the world. This is the only thing that makes us the people of God. Obedience is what matters. So what we eat matters. And the holy days matter. Now here's the thing. If you and I today as outsiders to the church at Rome, if you and I went back and looked at this church in Rome and looked at these two groups, if we looked at the non-Jews, for example, the Gentiles, we would look at them and they'd be sitting around eating pork and sauerkraut and pig stomach on New Year's Day, and on the Sabbath day, they would be at Home Depot doing their home projects. And then we would look at the Jews And they were saying, look, faith means obedience. So we will obey God and eat kosher. And we will obey God and keep the Sabbath. And we would look at the Jews and we would say, when we compare the two groups, wow, we admire your faith. You are people of strong faith, right? Strong faith. And we'd be wrong. It's actually the opposite. For Paul, it's the Jews who are the weak ones and the Gentiles who are the strong ones. Which, I don't know about you, that messes with my mind. It messes with our understanding of faith. And for some of you, it also messes with what we're talking about because you're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with friendship, right? Well, stick with me. Do not abandon ship. Um, We're actually headed somewhere, I promise. So let me explain. When we, the people of God, start talking about sin and what it is that separates us from God. For thousands of years, we, the people of God, have talked about sins of the flesh and sins of the spirit. Ever heard that? Sins of the flesh and sins of the spirit. Now, sins of the flesh are those visible sins that we commit with our bodies. Sexual sins, drunkenness, 
belittling people with our words, fits of rage. Sins of the Spirit are those invisible sins that we commit with our minds, with our spirits. Pride, jealousy, self-righteousness. You with me so far? Okay. Now, in our day, if you happen to see a video or if you're watching the news and you see a story about a certain pastor that got fired for moral failure, you automatically pretty know which of those two sins the pastor committed, right? When was the last time you heard a pastor got fired for sins of the Spirit? Too proud Jealous of the pastors in all the big churches. When a pastor gets fired for moral failure, you pretty much know it's always she got fired for sins of the flesh. You and I, we get scandalized by sins of the flesh, right? The visible ones, the ones we can see. So question... What kind of sins did Jesus get scandalized by? When you think of a group of people that Jesus fired for moral failure, when he said, you are failed leaders of Israel, what sins were they committing? If you looked at a certain group of people that Jesus said to them, you are a brood of snakes. What sins were they committing? If you looked at a group of people to whom Jesus said, you are whitewashed tombs, what sins were they committing? They were scandalized by, Jesus was scandalized by sins of the Spirit, pride, self-righteousness. So why did Jesus think that the sins of the Spirit were so ugly? Why did he think they were so dangerous? Well, think about those religious leaders, the Pharisees. Think about how they typically treated people. Do you think of the Pharisees and the religious leaders as people who are especially loving Gracious, friendly, hardly. These were people who regularly rejected, regularly rejected people who didn't meet their standards. These were people who killed Jesus because they actually thought that it was possible to despise human beings and still love God. They thought that because they avoided the the sins of the the you know what I'm talking about, those particular sins that you can see, they thought, well, I'm a spiritual giant. 
They thought that they could hide their sinfulness behind obedience. They thought that they could reject people and love God. And they did not know that a crippled ability to love is the worst of all sins. So question, and you will know the answer to this. What do you think keeps more people from church? The fact that they know sinners go here or the fact that they know judgmental people go here? I think I know. And I think you do too. So back to Paul, the weak and the strong. Here's what was happening. These two groups of people were historically rejecting each other, condemning each other. One group saying obedience is key, and another group saying grace is key. And both were crippled in love. And condemnation Rejection is so deeply rooted in human beings. It's actually hard for us to imagine life without it. We simply must let other people know that we disapprove. So we condemn, reject, obedient, but crippled in our ability to love. There's a guy named Ya Yang who was uh, born in China, came to the United States as a 16-year-old exchange student. He arrived here not knowing a single person, and he felt terribly alone, and he wanted more than anything to find a friend and to be accepted. He was assigned to a host family in Louisiana, and he was hoping that they would become his friends. It turned out that that family was less than stellar. They put him in a bedroom that was empty only because the boy that usually lived there was in prison for murder. And with a couple weeks' time, they managed to steal all of Yah's money. Yah got a new family, thankfully, and this family was a family of Christ followers. They took him to church. They became friends. They loved him. And Yah met Jesus there. Graduated. His family came to the graduation, got married, decided to start his own business. But wherever he went looking for funding for his business, he met rejection. And rejection after rejection after rejection did something to Yah 
that none of the other difficulties in life did that he had ever faced. It paralyzed him. Rejection hurt him, and it made him afraid because he realized rejection is personal, and it hurts. Have you ever been rejected? Think about how the fear of rejection cripples us. It'll keep you from asking out someone on a date. It'll keep you from being honest and confessing sin. It'll keep you from making a friend. It might keep you from getting married. It might keep you from applying to the school you really want to go to. It might keep you from asking for a raise. It might keep you from having an honest talk with someone you've hurt. Because rejection hurts us. It cripples our ability to love. And Yah realized that if he did not manage to conquer this fear of rejection, it was going to shrink his life and make it much smaller than he dreamed it could be. So he started looking online for how do I conquer rejection, and he read about this thing called rejection therapy, where you go up to people and you ask them some really outrageous requests and you get rejected over and over and over. And eventually, hearing the no, the rejection doesn't hurt as much. So on his own, he decided to engage in rejection therapy. He began his own 100 days of rejection. He actually videoed it. He started a blog that has since made him quite famous. On day one of rejection therapy, you can watch these videos. You can go find them. On day one, he went up to a complete stranger and asked the complete stranger, would you give me $100? No. He went to a fast food place and ordered a burger, and after he ate it, he took the cardboard box back up to the counter and said, can I get a free burger refill? No. He went into a pet smart and he asked, can you cut my hair the same way you're cutting that German shepherd's hair? No. Pretty soon, hundreds and then thousands of people were watching his daily doses of rejection humiliation. And then came Jackie, and the day that changed his life forever. This is Jackie, Krispy Kreme Jackie. Yah went into a Krispy Kreme, and he said to Jackie, I would like my donuts in the shape of the Olympic circles. And instead of no... The young girl behind the counter, and you can watch it, put her hand in her chin, thought for a few moments, and said, well, how soon do you need this? (laughs) Yah didn't know what to say, so he said, "Uh, 15 minutes? She said, well, I don't watch the Olympics. I can't really remember the colors. 
So she got out a piece of paper and started sketching on this piece of paper and said, what are the colors? And he didn't know either. And she said, well, wait right here. She said, I'll be back. And 15 minutes later, she brought Yah, the Olympic symbol, in donuts. She even Googled it so that she could get the colors right. Do I not have that one, Missy? Oh, man, I blew it. It looks just like it in color. Somehow I missed it. I'm sorry. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, there you go. Um, Yah, Yah was so shocked with this yes that he didn't even know what to say at first when she put the donuts down on his table. And finally he managed to say, um, uh, what do I owe you? And she said, Jackie said, don't worry about it. This one's on me. Seriously? You hear him say, yes, this one's on me. Yah was ready for rejection. You know what he wasn't ready for? Acceptance. And neither was anyone else. The video went viral. People all over the world started seeing it. And before a couple days went by, MSNBC and Fox and CNN and multiple talk shows were interviewing both Yah and Jackie. Krispy Kreme stock rose more than two bucks a share in three days. And Yah became world famous. He now does TED Talks all over the world. Has his own business, more than one actually. He's spoken at most, some of the most significant leadership summits in the world. All because a young girl who sells Krispy Kreme donuts put her chin in her hand and said, yes. Acceptance has extraordinary power to change life, does it not? And that's why Paul said to these two very different groups of people, one of whom was deeply committed to obedience and one of whom deeply committed to faith. This is why Paul said to both, accept each other. Open up your circle. Invite someone in. And then there is this huge phrase that you cannot miss. Just as Christ has accepted you. Just as Christ has accepted you. Don and I were sitting on the couch yesterday morning for a quiet time, maybe Friday for a quiet time. Donna was reading the book of Isaiah. It's her favorite book. She said, you know, I love this book. But every time I read chapter 53, I marvel and it amazes me. How did Isaiah know? 600 years before Jesus, how did Isaiah know 
what he was writing. 600 years before Jesus, he was despised and rejected. Rejected. A man of sorrows. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. And yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped and we were healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. By his stripes, we are healed. No one of us has ever made himself whole on our own. No one of us lives for a single minute without the gift of grace. Jesus has accepted me, and that's my motive. And Jesus has accepted you, and that is your motive. Because once long ago, there was a man who climbed a hill carrying a cross. And had you been listening, you might have heard him say, this one's on me. This one's on me. Let's pray, and then we're going to take communion together to remember this event. Father, I thank you for being a God who has accepted us. You have brought us into your circle, not because we're obedient, not because we're people of particularly strong faith, but you do it as a gift. You do it because of grace, because of who you are. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you, God, that you were able to accomplish this. Thank you, God, that even though there was a barrier to our friendship, you decided to step over it. And you accepted us. God, I thank you so much for that. And I pray, God, that even as we commune together, that we'd be motivated and reminded to do what Paul tells us to do to accept each other. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So if you would, grab your, your communion elements. And um, if you have never used these little things, does, does anybody need one that's here? If so, Kurt uh, can grab one. We, uh, we're, uh, for those of you at home too, and if you've been part of Horizon, you may have heard us say you do not have to be members or partners. Maybe this is the first time you're ever watching at home. Um, 
We invite all of you who are followers of Jesus Christ to commune with us. Uh, and the way, if, this, if you have never used these little things, um, the, the top rips off and you can grab the wafer and then the second layer rips off and you can take the juice. We'll take them one at a time in just a couple minutes. But before we do, I want to make one really, really important invitation. I started out by asking you, do you remember the last time that you made a new friend? Um, remember that moment when you made a friend? Um, I, I remember another moment when I made a friend, a guy named Jack. We 10th grade, high school, we were on the wrestling team together, and Jack was not having a very good year. And every bus ride from our away wrestling meets, Jack would always sit alone by himself. And one of the cheerleaders on our cheer team um, came up to me, and for whatever reason, she was a friend of both, but she, she picked me and she said, Bud, you need to go and sit next to Jack. I'd never talked to Jack, never met him. But I did, because I'm that kind of a compliant person who does what a person tells me to. I went and I sat down next to Jack, and I said, what's your name? And he said, Jack, what's yours? And I said, bud. That bus ride was 42 years ago. We've been friends for life. I will see him tomorrow. When was the moment when you met Jesus Christ? I remember. Some of you maybe have never had that moment when you met Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you who are watching have never had that moment. Or maybe, maybe some of you had that moment when you were young and you have walked away and it doesn't make sense to you anymore, or you're struggling. You can come back. Jesus is still ready to be your friend. Or if you've never had that moment, that moment can be today. So whether you're watching in here or whether you're watching at home, Jesus is ready to be your friend. This can be the moment and you can have a lifetime of friendship with Jesus. So before we continue taking communion, I'm going to pray so that if you've never had that moment, you can, and you can take communion as a new friend of Jesus. So would you all pray with me? And if you need to and have never done this, then you just say these words along with me or put it in your own words while I'm talking. But would you pray with me, please? Father, I know that for whatever reason, some of us have stood on the outside looking in. Maybe we have questions that haven't been answered. Maybe we're mad at you. Maybe we just never had the opportunity. Maybe it's always been a scary thing. But for whatever reason, God, I know, I know that there are one or two people who right now are saying, yeah, I, I, I want this to be the moment. I want this to be the moment when I become a friend of Jesus. So God, in our own words, in their words, God, however we do this, I want to pray a prayer of gratitude 
that once long ago, your son climbed a hill carrying a cross and said, this one is on me. And so God, all of us, we can put all of the garbage we've been carrying, all of our sinfulness, all of our fears, all of our shame, we can give it to you and you take it because of the cross. And we do that right now. Whatever it is that has kept us from you, this is the moment. And we get rid of it. And God, thank you so much that you're present, that your spirit is here. And you can confirm and you can assure us through your presence that the moment has happened. You have made us friends. Thank you. Now, God, together we are going to remember what this moment cost. We're going to remember the barrier that you had to step over. Pray, God, that you'll help us to do this prayerfully and gratefully. So if you would, find your little wafer things. And on the night that Jesus was actually betrayed, he was sitting with his closest friends. And there was a loaf of bread, and he broke it, gave it to his friends. And with this broken bread, he said, this is my broken body. Eat this bread, he said, in remembrance of me. So take and eat the bread, remembering the broken body of Jesus Christ. Not long after they ate the bread, Jesus took a glass of wine. Scripture tells us that he held it up and he blessed it and he thanked God for it. And then he said, friends, this wine is my blood. It represents a new covenant that I am making with you through my blood. And he simply asked, whenever we drink this, that we remember him. So would you take and drink and remember the shed blood of Jesus? Let's pray and then we'll finish with a song. God, thank you. Thank you, God, that for some people, this was the moment when we were made friends. Thank you, God, for many of us we have a chance to remember the moment and I'm grateful. Thank you, God, that you paid the price. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.